Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsort and today I'm talking to Andy Christen. Now, Andy's got a great story because he's, he's met that gold standard. He's been involved in a, in a growing business and exited without that um, golden handshake or earnout period. So welcome, Andy. Thanks for joining me today. I'm, I'm sure the, the listeners are keen to hear your story. Well, thanks, Daryl. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm an accountant and I've, I've been a finance director for, for many, many businesses for a long time. Um, but I got an opportunity to get involved in a, in a small business, had a small equity share, and um, it was quite a roller coaster ride, quite a quick ride. We, we set it up, built it up to a million pounds in profit, and we were, we'd sold it within five years. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting uh, experience. Sounds like the sort of story that uh, a lot of owners want to create, and it always sounds nice and easy to do, but it's not always easy to create. There, there must be some secrets. Did you guys have any sort of, you know, business training or qualifications? What, you know, is there any special secrets that uh, led you guys to be able to achieve that story? Yeah, I, I think the, um, the secret sauce, as it were, is that the, the entrepreneur, the, the guy that I worked alongside and the, the majority shareholder, David, he'd done this before. So um, he'd done it, uh, I think, at least twice before that I know of. Um, so when it came to this opportunity, we actually had two other businesses in the same sort of uh, sector. And we, we set up this, this uh, claims management business um, in a specific area, very niche, um, only probably 20 potential clients worldwide. And um, we did everything right. You know, we, we set it up uh, as a business with a, both of us not involved in the day to day. We had someone write a system to make it uh, make, to automate the process, something that most of our competitors hadn't done. We put together a, a group of I suppose four people, the, the main board. Uh, we, we, we were two of them, but we got two other people who were specialists with 20 years plus experience in the business. Um, and we went, uh, we went in with some good prices. You know, we, we, we aimed to make some money out of it. Um, yeah, I think that, that's probably the, the, the recipe. Uh, easier said than done, um, but, but easier done if you've done it before. Yeah. So I think you, you rattled off. You, you almost went through the checklist, uh, one of the checklists that we use um, for, for examining and assessing whether a business is exit ready or not. And, and, and it's worth going through those. I think one of the things you, you mentioned was you're in a niche. So you know, it's easy to stand out, it's easy to add value and to convey your value when you do something special and unique and, and you're not trying to do everything for everyone. So, so there's a nice lesson for us. Yeah. yeah, I think that's absolutely key. I think, I think that's where you know, a lot of businesses that, um, that, that I see, because I'm, I'm a part-time finance director, I get involved with a few, few SMEs um, and, and often I don't get involved in them because they, they don't set themselves up correctly. You know, trying to do too many things, trying to spread too wide, uh, it's, it's a massive mistake. Um, you know, you, your people don't understand what you're doing in enough detail to do it well. You can't build a system because you need six or seven systems. And, and, and you, you know, you can't ask people for, for, for good revenue. You know, you can't ask top prices if, you, if you're not a specialist. So. If you're just another player, you're... You 
by you're in the middle by definition and and you know if if anything that puts down the lower end of the pricing and and you know which means you need to build your factory or your business um to suit you know it needs to be high volume low unit profit you know just to stay in the game sure yeah, yeah. You've mentioned, you know, one of the other things you said is, is that, you know, the key player had done it before, so they, they knew the journey, always a big help. Most people don't have that behind them. So let's skip that one and, and, and go on to some of the other areas where you identified, you know, process, if you like. You mentioned um, systems. You've said that a couple of times and automation. What exactly do you mean by systems? What are systems? It's something that slips off the tongue really easily. Um, and I hear people talk about it, but let's explore it in a bit more depth this time around. What is it? What is a system? Yeah, I mean, I, in, in different businesses, it can mean lots of different things, I suppose. I mean, uh, for us, um, you know, simple things like, um, you know, a little bit of work that, that, that I wanted my team to do, I, I just video it on Loom and save it on a, on a, a shared drive so that people could, uh, you know, go back and, and check how they were going to do it. Anybody that's, that was new coming on board could, could go and have a look at the videos and see how to do that particular task, do it correctly. We had lots of flow charts, um, a couple of Visio experts who, who would, you know, chart the processes. Um, I mean, one of the things we had to do we, we, in the operations was actually making bank payments. You know, we were paying people all over the world um, and there's there's all sorts of ways that that could go wrong. So so actually writing down how these things worked so that people could always come back to that, um, you know, that was important. But but the main thing was was um, a, a system, an online web portal for people to make claims on. Um, so that they could just they could go online and they could you know type in all the details themselves upload photographs upload estimates um, because before that they, they were sort of emailing them in and and we were having to do all that inputting ourselves so I mean you know it saved us a, a load of time a load of double entry uh, errors um, yeah I mean uh, that, that was a big game changer that, that that's online system so I think I heard two things there, Andy. So, so one of them was we had internal, we had a, one way of doing things, one workflow. So we documented it and, and in a nice simple form, like a, a flowchart um, or you know, workflow and flowcharts with Visio. So it was really clear and obvious to everyone, step by step by step, here's the way we do things. You don't make it up as you go along. You don't do it different every time. Everyone does it the same way. So that means that as we grow and we've got more people doing the same process, we can control it. The other thing I heard is that you had training in each of those steps. And, and I love modern use of technology. You just used, um, was it Loom? Loom, yeah. Or a video. So you just had a video recording of, of what screenshots and, and as you were moving around the screen and here's how to do it. So if you're stuck, um, so, so people will probably, you know, when they're learning the process for the first time, they're using the video side by side. As they get for more, more familiar, I'm not sure if you said this, but, but checklist, just to have some sort of confirmation that, you know, oh yeah, there's, there's a quick reminder, yeah, bang, 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 done it. Um, and training so that everyone knew exactly the same way. So there was one half of things. And then the other half, I think I heard you say was, um, you know, we've got 
the internal training and then from the external system perspective we've we had some automation and, and software which reduced a whole lot of our manual handling and duplication and saved us a whole lot of time and gave us consistency so i'm guessing that's where where some of your real ip and and competitive competitive advantage in both sides but you are looking at the systems for not just one side but both sides customer experience as well as team experience yeah yeah that's exactly right yeah, and just, 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 it's just consistency, isn't it? Saving time, make, ha having the same result every time, um, just, just makes the business a lot, a lot more easy. Yeah. So, can you give us some um, concept? How many people were in your business? Fifty at the end. Yeah. So it's a nice small business. Yeah. And how do you know what level of detail to document to, so you get that balance right between telling people how to suck eggs? And you know, having you know, not being overly prescriptive, so you you it makes it a you know less enjoyable to do. But how do you get that balance right? And especially in a small business like that, when you've got limited resources to to do this type of work. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you mentioned checklists there. So we, we had a checklist for for invoices because the claim would obviously end up in an invoice that we'd have to pay. Um, and if I remember right, you had 13 points on this checklist. So, so if, if you're the person in, in our business receiving the invoice, you've got to check 13 points and tick them off and make sure that it's correct before you put it on the system. Otherwise, you've got to reject it, send it back and get it, get it corrected. So, yeah, it'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it, to go through the checklist every time, especially if you're doing, I don't know, say, say, say half a dozen a day, maybe. Um, but that's not the point. You know, the, the checklist's there. People probably know what they're looking for after a while they get used to it but if they want to go back and check it you know if they, if, if, if they've got a strange one they just want to be absolutely sure what the wording was on point six they can go back and check it um and and of course if you've got new people starting they're going to rely on those things more so they're there and you, it doesn't take someone like me wasting time you know going through stuff like that um you know i the loom videos particularly um save me a lot of time in showing people how to do things over and over again because it was, it was do it once record it once and, and it's there for for the duration then yeah and and there's a record of what was trained because you're going well he's, he's yeah you know evidence <clears throat> yeah that's right yeah and i think you mentioned that um you, you've got checklists there so for someone doing a checklist every day or, or or following the process five or six times every day it's just a reminder because you can get in autopilot mode and I guess so. it's also useful for the people who are only doing it once a week, once a month. They're going, look, I, I don't need to do the whole training again, but um, yeah, I don't need to watch the video, but I just need a reminder. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've got to do that step, that step, that step. Yeah, I've got it. I need, yeah, and if I'm only doing it once a week. Okay, so we've got, we've got systems, we've got processes. I think you said you also had an external board members. How did you know when to bring on external people into the board and what value did they add? Um, no, we didn't really have external board board members. Not 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 when we were setting it up. We, I mean, Dave, David covered sort of the the operations, the sales, and and the MD base to start with. And I did. I was the finance director. Um, I mean, we we had we had those roles even when there's just the two of us. You know, we we sort of set it up as a proper business um, even before you know we had any term turnover. Um, but once we started to get some traction and got some some decent sized clients, 
um, we, we took on somebody in the ops role and took on someone in the sales role. Um, and they, we actually started off with most, most people were contractors when we were small. We were probably lucky in that way that people were available that we knew in the, in the industry who were good. Um, and so they came on as contractors, sometimes not even full time. And then when, when we got a bit bigger, they, they were made up to full time employees and, and, and they, they are now running the business. Um, okay. So, and I think you mentioned to me earlier that um, be, before we started recording that um, you stayed on once the business was sold, you stayed on as, as the FD. Is that, is that right? That's right. Yes, I stayed on. In fact, I'm, I'm still there till the end of this month, a few, a few years afterwards. Um, I mean, we we sold on, on the day and we were paid on the day. There was no earn out or anything like that, as you mentioned before, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I stayed on as a consultant and um, it's, you know, it, it, it was our baby, you know, and uh, <laughs> you, got, you get attached to these things. But I've sort of got to the point now, I think, yeah, I need to move on and do something else. But uh, it was great. But quite a different change in culture. I mean, we, we sold to a, a large French multinational. Um, I think it was 60,000 employees. So, you know, we, we, we were a drop in the ocean. Um, ch change, change in a way of doing things, you know, with decisions didn't get made so quickly. It was uh, a, a lot more bureaucratic um, for, for good reason. I can understand why. Um, but yeah, very, very, very different. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to going back to some more entrepreneurial businesses now. Okay, so you've gone from a 50-person business to, what did you say, a 60,000-person business. I imagine the level of detail in terms of documentation, process control, training, was at another level. Yeah, I not really, to be honest. I think they, we were making good profits and, and they, they kind of let us go. I mean, if... If we hadn't have been, I, I imagine, you know, there'd have been a lot more intervention, but I think we're such a small business. Um, you know, the, the, the important people within, within the, the, the office in Paris had their eyes on, on bigger fish. Um, okay. they, they, they got, I think one of the reasons why they, what they bought us was to get into, into our market. Um, and they didn't really ever, ever follow that through. So, um, yeah, that was an element that we were sort of left alone a bit, really. Okay, so so is that what was attractive to them to get into the market, or do you think there was something else that uh, led them to acquiring you as opposed to someone else? I think the, the reason that they that they wanted us initially was because we were in the automotive market and we had a couple of um, particularly big clients that they thought that they could supply their services to if, if they got in but you know got involved with uh, our relationships and, and um extrapolated from there but i don't think they ever did really i certainly haven't heard that right okay so for, for some of the listeners can you take us through what the the journey was like from the the beginning of the let's call it the exit process i'm, I'm guessing how, how did that happen were you approached did you go to market can you talk us through the that side of the journey yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, David had a relationship with, with um, this business and um, he, from quite, I don't know, a few years before, there, um, there was a, a talk of, of them buying us out and um, 
I can't really remember what the catalyst was now, but it, it came to a point. I think maybe it was we'd, we'd grown it to a certain level um, and the questions were asked. I think I can't remember how many years we've been going there. Not, not, not that many. Um, but yeah, he just he started a conversation. There was interest on their side. Um, we didn't actually we, we broke one of the cardinal rules, really. We, we didn't get that uh, competitive tension. We didn't really talk to anybody else. Um, reason being that, that that they were interested and, and and the multiple was good so you know we didn't feel that we we wanted to go down that route and risk you know the, the offer that we had um it still took over a year um to, to, to go through the process um they had quite a a professional bid team or emergency acquisitions team so you know it was david and i um dealing with team of lawyers and accountants and people who were dealing with I don't know half a dozen different purchases at the same time or potential purchases at the same time um so um yeah it was an interesting process but but they were actually very professional so you know they gave us a list of things they wanted we set up uh, a dropbox file with all the sort of due diligence documentation and a few visits to Paris for you know discussions with them but but really mainly just questions by email and it, it didn't take us a lot of well, it didn't take me a lot of time in terms of they didn't give me lots of work to do I know David did have a lot of work to do and it's quite important that we had other people running the business at that stage because he, he was involved a lot um but um yeah no for me they, they asked questions we answered them and then we, we didn't hear much for for, for a week or six and there'd been a few questions and then eventually they got to a point where they they finalized the offer and, and we had a date and we had to get the uh, our lawyers and, and accountants involved uh, very important to you know have those professionals involved at that stage and um yeah contract was was made up and uh an offer was agreed so what what support did you guys have on your side to uh, help you with the, the process and the the, the transaction we had a, a top 20 firm of uh, accountants uh, who'd been involved with us for some time and they it was a bit it, it wasn't just a single um it wasn't a direct share ownership so there's another company involved that owned the shares um so it was a little bit more complicated than it might otherwise have been um but but yeah so so they were involved and they had a, a solicitor that that they used for these sort of transactions which made it easier for us because the two firms knew each other um it was a fairly light touch really i think i, I would imagine i've never been involved in any other sale apart from that one but um didn't seem to be too complicated okay and your role as an fd we often hear the 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 importance of the fd being involved in the the transaction what were the the requirements of yourself and your skill set yeah um I mean, I think that that was something that David wanted and he knew from his previous experience that, you know, I think people often leave it too long to get an FD. And even if it's a part time FD, you know, they, they, they leave it too long. Um, they get more value if they got someone in earlier. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I was in from the, from the start. I mean, I was there before we, we even had the company set up. Um, we always had monthly management accounts, you know, full full accounts and analysis of a uh, profit and contracts you know the different contractual profits um 
forecasts, you know, looking forward, cash, cash flow. I mean, we actually bootstrapped it from, from pretty much nothing. Initially, we put in a little bit of capital for the shares, but, but we never had any loans. Um, so, you know, keep keeping a tight, a tight eye on, uh, on what cash was required. Also making sure that the, the clients paid some of the money up front. You know, to make sure that it uh, it worked uh, again, that was something that, that, that I think he learned from previous experience. Um, but I uh, I made sure it happened. <clears throat> so there's always that value, isn't it? I think you know from from what I've seen in the marketplace, it's that transition required for entrepreneurs to move from gut feel, let's call it financial management, to you know bring in someone with some some key expertise and uh, and. And really analysing the, the the finance function and all of the numbers and and turn it from backward looking to forward looking to to help you make better decisions and informed timely decisions. Yeah, that's right. I mean, often I mean I think you've mentioned it before. I've heard you talking about the, the, the million pound sort of problem. You get you get a business to about a million pound and and it's it's an adolescent, isn't it? It's got to grow up. Yeah. Uh, and for finance is definitely an element that needs to. Needs to change quite significantly often in that in that sort of business so you need to put together a model you need to understand you know what are the profit drivers what how does your, your your net profit work but how does your gross profit work if you've got different parts to your business are they all contributing the same amount or would you be better off just concentrating on on one particular area which is often the way and how do you forecast that forwards you know how, how could you grow it what what does that mean for the cash as well? You know, if you're going to, you might think, okay, let's just, let's grow this quickly, but um, are you going to run out of cash if you do it? So you need some, some good models um, looking forward. And, and that, that, that's where your FD does come in, I think. Yeah, look, any, any business I know who's brought in an FD on a part-time basis um, as an ambitious business owner, the earlier they bring them in, the happier they are. The more in control they feel of their growth process. So, uh, yeah, it's an important role, isn't it? <clears throat> Andy, um, based on your experience, you've been through the process now, you've, you've, you've hung on for a couple, you know, a while longer after the, the process, you stayed on as, a, as an extra decision, uh, you've seen the changes in the business. Well, from your experience, what, what tips would you give business owners, you know, getting ready to go on the change and start to think about it? Yeah, I think, well, well, first of all, think think about your exit as, as soon as you can. If if you haven't thought about it already, start start now. Um, you know, exits come in different shapes and sizes. You might not be selling like we did, but you, you've got to put a business into a, into a, a good position um, where it doesn't rely on you. Um, you, you. You can't start thinking about that too early. I don't think um, you, you you sort of uh, skipped over the, the the fact that one of the reasons that we'd uh, we'd done quite well i think was because of david's initial experience having done all this before i mean obviously most people can't suddenly get that sort of experience but you can go and buy it you can go and talk to people early on who've done this before um i'll give you david's number if you want i'm sure it should be available for the odd phone call um but yeah no there's, there's lots of people around who can who can help you who've been through it um and can help you structure the business early on in the, in the right way and stop you making a you know going down the wrong road which can be quite expensive um absolutely if you 
you know, one of the things that we talk about is, is you need to get that switch, you know, switch the mindset from purely revenue growth to asset growth. Start thinking about the business from an asset perspective, you know, and how a buyer or an acquirer will start looking at your business. And then you can start putting those systems, you know, processes, structures, whatever you need to do in place just to make the transaction easier. You mentioned that you know, even though you, you only had one acquirer that you were talking to, it still took a year to, for the process to occur. And that's yeah. one of the big things for business owners is, is to realize that it's still going to take about a year for the, for the deal to be done. It's a lot more complicated than buying a house. Um, and uh, if, you know, if you, even if you, you know, don't have you know, all of your ducks in a row and, and everything all sorted, you know, it could take longer than a year. But it sounds like you guys did okay in terms of the demand uh, through during that year. A lot of you know people who have gone through the process talk and tell the story about how much work it actually took during the process and how much discipline it was required to keep their eyes on the ball and driving the business and keeping the business growing, you know, and without this distraction. Because the ones that you hear, you know, get distracted, the business actually devalues during the process if they if they don't have it running smoothly. And, and there's you know, just an additional advantage for business owners to not be required in the business on a day-to-day -day basis. Because if they're not required to run the business, they're going to take a whole lot of their time in doing this sort of work and getting the business you know, through the, the process. And, and that's not going to be a, a detriment to the business, the running of the business operationally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if, you're, if you're trying to find uh, the, the right buyer and you're starting off with, you know, half a dozen or, or so interested parties who might not be that interested and some of them are competitors and you're a bit, you're a bit worried about what you're going to tell them and um, what, what, what their objective really is in the process, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot more to do than, than we had. We just had one person who, who wasn't a competitor they, they seem to have a genuine reason to, to be interested. Um, and, and yeah, it, it never fell off the rails. You know, it was a process. It took a long time, but it, it just went through uh, the different steps and, and, and got to the end. So I'm sure we were quite lucky in that, in that situation. So Andy, you've been sharing how good and how, you know, pain-free the process was almost for you guys. You must've got something wrong. Relatively, you know, relatively pain-free. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if we got it wrong, but obviously we, we, we went against the general advice in, in not having competitive tension. So, you know, maybe we, we would have got a, a better multiple if we had. Um, we, we got a multiple significantly better than, than the sort of average range that you, you, you read about. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, a, a couple of years later, uh, the, the business did have a, a much better year. So uh, if, if we'd have hung on for two years, we'd have made a load more money. Uh, remember talking to David on that day. Uh, yeah, we talked about what might have been. But, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen, though, do you? Because we remember being there. Um, shall we do it? Shan't we do it? You know, this is the offer. Um, it, it was a big number, um, you know, f more so for him than for me. Um, but, you, you know... We could have lost one of our big contracts the next the next week. I mean, they, we, they were long term contracts, so they wouldn't have happened. But but we we couldn't have known that you know two years time we'd have we'd have had a much better profit. It was just just one of those things. It's like trying to predict the stock market, isn't it? Like oh yeah, <clears throat> it's wonderful. Yeah, 
<laughs> so look, Andy, look, just trying to pull it all together. Um, you know, one of the things I ask all of my guests on the, on the podcast is, you know, what's the, the one piece of information that you really want people to take away from this conversation? You know, wrap it up with kind of the best piece of advice you've ever received. You know, what's, what's the big, big message from our conversation today? Um, I'm an accountant, so I think I'd say, you know, know your numbers, like really know your numbers. So understand your profit and loss account, certainly, but um, also, you know, educate yourself as to valuation, you know, of businesses. What, what are the things that your business uh, needs to do to, to maximise its, uh, its profit multiple ratio, if, if that's the way you, you're going to sell it? And that's the way, you know, a lot, a lot of them are valued. That's how ours was valued. So I'm going to dig into that. I normally leave it there, but I'm going to dig into that because you are, do have a finance background. We hear a lot of people say, know your numbers. And it almost feels like a throwaway line, but I think you just started to give a little bit of an insight as to what that really means. So when you say know your numbers, I, you said know your profit, know, know what your valuation is, you know, from a buyer's perspective, you know, what is a realistic valuation you know, from the market, not what you want it to be worth or you hope it to be worth. What else do you mean as, as an FD when you say to a, a business owner, you've got to know your numbers? What does that mean? What's behind your profit? I think, you know, what, what are the volumes? What are the, what are your rates? If, it, if it's a volume rate sort of mechanism, for example, I deal with a, a firm of architects, you know, the, so their key numbers are, they've got a group of people who are very expensive, well, relatively expensive, and they're trying to corral that sort of knowledge and, and that, that, that resource to bring them in a revenue. So what are the key things? It's how many hours are available. So that's, that's a multiple of, you know, how many hours there are in a week, but also how many hours, how many of those hours are actually spent earning money, which is probably only about 65% of the time. And, and, and what's the hourly rate that they're actually achieving? Um, not, not what you think they're achieving when you estimate it, but have a look back afterwards. You know, if, if, you've, got, if you've got an hour recording system and find out, you know, on that project, what was the number of hours and therefore what was the hourly rate? And, and if it was 20 quid, go back and find out why, you know, go, make sure you understand the, th the things that go wrong and learn from them. Go, to the, go back to the numbers. Why, you know, why, why it might be that, you know, it's a big problem on a, on a job and for some reason, a lot of drawings have to be redone, for example, in the architect's example, you know, really understand those things. A lot of people, they don't want to go back and look at the mistakes. They don't want to look at the projects that went wrong. And yet, you know, you can learn so much from them and avoid making the mistakes again. It's a, it's a big part of uh, improving your profit. Yeah, so knowing... So more than just knowing your revenue, it's knowing where your profit comes from and what's driving the profit and um, just, you know, you, so you can get to, to know about the future of the business. Yeah, because not all revenue is good revenue. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people think it is, but, you know, if you, if you can see behind it, you know, split it out, that was that project, how oh, great, we made 50% margin on that one. That was that project, it was the same revenue and, oh, yeah, we lost the 50 quid on that one. Um, you know, why not? Don't do it. Don't do it again. Thanks, Andy. That's been uh, very helpful. Uh, you, you've shed some light on a whole lot of areas for us. Uh, really appreciate your time today. What I'll do is uh, on the on the, the show notes, we'll put some uh, contact details, how people can find you. 
but uh, you're now working using your experiences and in, in a portfolio career, uh, helping a number of people or a number of businesses with you know what what you achieved. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and enjoying it. That's good fun. All the best, and uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Dan.